So, uh, I just want to start by sharing a story. Uh, as some of you know, I got married a few months ago, and and uh, the one of the amazing parts about me getting married to a beautiful girl was that I got a two-for-one deal. And not only did I get to marry Becca, but I also have been able and had the privilege to father a six-year-old daughter, Mila. And this one time I was sitting in my living room with my beautiful wife, and she was sitting in my arms. We were just hanging out. And... She had to go and use the washroom. So she went and used the washroom. And Mila came into the room, and she came and she sat with me. And when she sat with me, she said, where's mom? I smell mom. And I had to explain to her the fact that I had just been cuddling her mom (laughs) on the couch, and her smell had rubbed off on me. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4, in verse 8. It says this, and we know the story well. It's Peter and John. They're standing before the Sanhedrin. And what happens here is that they've just seen a crippled man who had been crippled since birth actually receive the ability to walk again. And so the counselors, the rulers, the elders are pretty unhappy about this because they can't figure out how exactly it took place. And it says this in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people... If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you're anything like me, as you get older in life, you get better at things. You advance in your career. You advance in your relationships. You advance in a lot of areas. And it's easy to enjoy that experience when people acknowledge what you're good at and acknowledge you for your skills, your abilities, your talents. It feels good. It feels good to be able to be counted on for something that you're good at. Is that true? But what I love about this story is that Peter and John were standing before learned, educated, skilled, qualified people. They were standing in the presence of greatness. And yet, in the presence of greatness, these men around watched as Peter and John spoke to them, and they, were, they walked away with one simple conclusion. And the conclusion wasn't that they were equally learned that they were skilled, that they were well-educated, that they were eloquent. No, the simple, simple conclusion they walked away was that these men had been with Jesus. It also gives us hope. 
Because it shows us something is that it doesn't take qualification for God to put us before great men. And it also shows us that unqualified does not mean disqualified. In Colossians 1.9, it says this. I'm going to read it out of the message, but before I do, verse 12 says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. I, in the kingdom of light. I love that he uses this word, qualify, that we have been qualified in Christ together with all the saints. The message says this in verse 9 to 12. It says, Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you'll learn more how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. And when I think to myself about all the God stories that I've read, I don't know if I've seen a single one where the man that God spoke to felt qualified in the moment he was spoken to. Think about the story of Gideon, the weakest of the weak. Moses, I stutter. Jeremiah, I am just a child. And yet God took unqualified men and made them qualified I think the theme of the story is that God will work with anyone who is willing. In Luke 8, verse 1, we see this. After Jesus traveled about from town to town and village to village, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Today, we wouldn't really think twice about this. But I was thinking, back then, God was willing to work with anyone. And in that culture, it would have been so weird for a bunch of women to be following Jesus around and funding his campaigns. Have we thought about that? Jesus and the disciples, in, in a sense, would have been freeloading off of the, the women's money. <laughs> but, but Jesus didn't care. Why? Because he was working with people that were willing 1 Corinthians 1, 26 says this in the message. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses and chose these nobodies to, ex to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. 
That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. I love this idea that when we come to Christ, we are nothing. (laughs) Really. But it's he who makes something out of us. He, the creator, makes something out of nothing. And when he's making something, he's not making us schooled and qualified in the natural sense. Because even Paul, who was schooled and qualified, comes back and says, whatever I had to my gain, I now count as lost for the sake of knowing Christ. C.S. Lewis refers this concept as a divine humility. And he says this, it is a poor thing to strike our colors to God when the ship is going down under us. A poor thing to come to him as a last resort, to offer up our own when it is no longer worth keeping. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to him. And come to him because there is nothing better to be had. You know, God is on a mission. And that mission is not to make bad people good. His mission is to make dead people come alive. When I was a kid, I grew up with three brothers. And we would fight and we would wrestle. And we all know the classic thing is that you'd get the the arm behind the back and then you'd say, scream uncle. (laughs) What were you doing? You were getting a reaction, right? But what I love about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't try and get our reaction. Because the mission that he has for us is not a reaction It's a response. John 5, Jesus demonstrated this. He didn't just tell us about it. He demonstrated it. John 5, 19. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. John 14, 10, that second part. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing my work. Lewis has this simple quote. He says, Our highest activity must be response, not initiative. See, we live in the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom, our role as believers is not to take initiative, believe it or not. Our role as believers is simply to respond to him. You see, reaction comes from the outside in. I do something and I demand a reaction. Response comes from the inside out. And the only way I can respond to Christ is if I hear him. He speaks, I listen. Reaction provokes, is provoked by something that happens on the outside. And you know what? Actually, it simply means to respond to force. God doesn't 
force us into anything. But what we see with Jesus is this simple concept that he was moved. Jesus was moved. And he wasn't just moved. He was moved with compassion. If you look at Mark 6, verse 30, we have this amazing story of Jesus. And what happens is he's just with his disciples. And they've just got word that John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has been, his head has been cut off. Jesus is sort of ministering. He's got his disciples out there performing many miracles. And you can imagine what it would be like to be serving God wholeheartedly like Jesus was and the disciples. And then to hear this news that your cousin has just been beheaded unlawfully. I read in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I think about ministry. Has anyone here ever uh, performed service for people? And then when it's done, you're so happy to like step away from that and rest. And how, put yourself here with the disciples. I mean, you've just been doing all this work with Jesus, but you haven't really been with him. And then Jesus in the flesh says, guys, come on, bring it in. We're going to step away from life for a few minutes and we're just going to rest together. You know, the, John, I think about John, the apostle of the chest. John's thinking, like, I got a spot on Jesus' chest when we get to that island. And they pull the boat up, and people have literally run to see them in advance. But what I love about this story is that Jesus is not forced by the people. He doesn't serve them because he's forced. Do you know why he served them? Because he was moved. He was moved with compassion. This was not an act of obligation. The word compassion actually means, this, don't think about it too deeply, to have the bowels yearn. That's what it means. Not make noise, but yearn. That's talking about something that's deep. It's not, it's not a reaction it's compassion. It's passion that comes from the inside. When we are moved by the Father, we are motivated by compassion, not obligation. I think as believers, it's easy for us to get lost in the idea that we are on a mission for Jesus. But can I suggest... We are not on a mission for Jesus. We are on a mission with Jesus. This wasn't, this wasn't his uh, exit strategy. This wasn't Jesus' exit strategy. Like, I'm just going to take it a certain way and then leave it, to the, leave it to them. They'll figure it out. No, he commissions us and then he goes with us. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
And I really feel this morning that God wants to change our eyes. Some of us are in situations now where we, we feel the promptings of God. We feel like there's something that needs to take place or something that we need to step out in. But we're looking at it with these eyes and God is wanting to change our eyes. But the thing is this, is that he doesn't change these eyes. He changes these eyes. He changes the eyes of our hearts. That's what he does. That's what Paul prays, that he would change the eyes of our heart, that we would know the hope to which we have been called. What about the Great Commission? You know what I love about the Great Commission? Is that it's a mission. But it's not just a mission. It's a great mission. And it's not just a great mission. It's a great commission. A mission done in the company of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we heard the story about the prodigal son, right? We had Terry Kruger here sharing that story. <clears throat> and just reflecting on that story, I th it was this sad, sad concept about this older son who stays in his father's house but never has his father's heart, right? He, he lives in his father's house. He never leaves, but he never carries his father's heart. And what's alarming to me about this story is the statement that he makes when his younger brother returns. Do you know what he says? Because we know the younger son, right? The younger son comes home and he realizes that as a son, he's really squandered it. He's really messed it up. And, and he comes home saying, just make me a slave. Just get me in the back door and I'll work my way up. Because I don't deserve this. But the crazy thing for me is that the older son doesn't have a different mentality. The older son stays at the father's house, does not carry the father's heart. And when the younger son comes home, the older son is outside. And when the father goes to him, do you know what he says? All these years I have slaved for you. When we think we are on a mission for him, we always feel like we deserve something. It's on the video. <laughs> but that's the point. Whenever we think we're on a mission for him, we always feel like we deserve something. And I really felt this for us. That God is not calling us to give of the resources that come easy to us. He's calling us to give of the resources that have our attention. I remember the first year I was in business. I made so little money that my accountant didn't want to charge me for her services. <laughs> it was the weirdest feeling, having someone feel sorry for you. It's, it's weird. There was, giving money was a hard thing for me. It was very hard. And then time passes by, by default, you know, you don't do as bad as your first year. But it becomes easier to give the resource of finance. 
But it's also easy to give the resource of finance simply by just checking off a box. But what I felt God was saying to us as a body is that he's calling us to give of the resources that have our attention. For some of us, it's money. For some of us, it's time. For some of us, it's relationship. For some of us, it is laziness. For some of us, it's convenience. I want to read a beautiful story out of Luke 10 that I think adequately encompasses this concept. It says, Now while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's, ta- at the Lord's feet And was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. And we know that story. What's interesting to me is that Martha was the one who opened the door to her house. But Mary seems to be the one who opened the door to her heart. Because it seems like as soon as Martha had let Jesus in to her home, she disappeared. Martha got distracted doing things for Jesus. Mary got distracted being with Jesus. What's more interesting to me is following this story through later now in John 11. This has is, this is boggled my mind. Lazarus has now died. Lazarus is their brother. He has now died. And what happens here is that they're all mourning. They're sad. And, and Jesus has actually not been able to get there in time to see healing for Lazarus. And so he's dead. He's dead for three days. And so Jesus approaches Bethany and word gets to the mourners that he's here, he's coming. And you know who the first person is to get up and run to him? Martha, not Mary. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary remained sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha was very quick to put stipulations on Jesus. She went to him and said, if you, if you. But check this out, verse 28. After Martha had finished speaking, she left and called her sister Mary. 
and privately whispering to her, said, the teacher is here and is asking for you. And when she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. One sister reacted, one sister responded. Like Lewis, I mentioned earlier, said our highest activity must be response, not initiative. And when we try and fill this great commission, when we try and fulfill this great commission for him, what I found in my own life is that I only ever have moments and I never have momentum. And I just feel this morning that God wants to bring us close to his heart. I imagine this story. Like, imagine what it would have been like for John, the apostle. We know the apostle of the chest. But the nearness that he had with Jesus. And imagine what it would have been like if they were resting and his eyes were closed and his, and his ear was to Jesus' heart. Not knowing the situation, but his eyes were closed. And then all of a sudden, he would just hear that heartbeat change as Jesus began to be moved with compassion What would that have sounded like? We know the feeling, right? We know the feeling when we respond to God. We know that feeling when it moves in us first and then it moves through us. God is looking for responders. He's not looking for older sons who think that all these years I have slaved for you. This is a co-mission. And it's easy for us to want to kickstart our lives. We're surrounded by things in our society that say, kickstart your life. Just do it. Just do it. You know, you got to change from the outside in. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to change you from the inside out. It's a very simple, very simple word. I wanted to really complicate it. But it didn't work with that opening verse, unschooled, unlearned. <laughs> but the reality is, God has given each and every one of us gifts. He has. But the way that we respond to those gifts is not by trying to sleep, seek pa- platforms for them. It's by being near him. When I look at this stage... I think to myself, we look at it, and it's so strategic, isn't it? It's beautiful. It's very perfect. It's very neat. It's made out of aluminum instead of steel. It's, Andy, what else? Carbon fiber. There's plastic. There's things going on. It's a very, it's a very neat, very nice-looking podium. And I'm standing on it and enjoying it today. But do you know that God has called you to build a podium? He has called you Not in a conventional way, but to build a podium. Why? Because our lives are spent using our hands, using our feet. What are we doing? We're creating, we're building, we're setting up shop for a purpose. But this podium that we build in our lives, it doesn't look like this one. You know what it's made of? It's made of blankets. It's made of coffee cups. It's made of time. 
It's made of resources. It doesn't look like much, but you know what happens? Like we always talk about, when we serve the people in our city, when we serve them in the simplest ways, we start to build that podium. And there's a reason we're building that podium. It's not to be good. It's so that we're not just his hands and his feet, but we're also his voice. And I think for myself is that if I am not near to Jesus, I can hear a message on the mission and instead of exciting me, it exhausts me. Anyone else? Be honest. Zero honesty. One. (laughs) Right? I can get a phone call from the office. Hey, can you help us this Sunday with this, that? Ah. It doesn't work that way. When we're close to him, we care about what he cares about. That's just how it works. And the mission doesn't get us closer. The mission comes to life when we're close to him. My encouragement this morning is simple. Stay close to him. That's the only sustainable option we have as Christians is to stay close to him, to know what he's saying, to hear his heart, to respond to what he's doing. That's it. Simple. That's it. Great. Thanks, Chris. Um, Can you pray over us? Yeah. Lord, I just thank you right now for each and every person in here. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of serving you. Lord, I just think about the story of Moses and how you said of the Israelites that, that the Israelites knew you for your acts, but Moses knew you for your ways. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who know you for your ways. Lord, that we would be a people who default to sitting at your feet and not getting tied up in the task and the responsibility. Lord, that we would be people who respond to you and not merely react to life. Lord, I pray that you soften our hearts. I pray that you open us. Lord, that you speak to us. Lord, that we would be a people who are moved with compassion like Jesus was. Lord, not reactionary, but compassion-filled. Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. If we could have the worship team up. Um, so while, while Wes was um, preaching, I got this picture and, um, of a person, myself, could be anybody, but it, with the gift in my hand, and, um, but my hand was closed. And then I thought of a, a, a little picture of a, like a beautiful chocolate in your hand. Like God put something that's beautiful, expensive chocolate, and you close your hand. And you've got it in your hand, and you feel, you know, I just don't want to eat this. It's too precious. I just don't want to lose it or use it. 
But two things happen. When I open my hand, it's all melted over my fingers. And I felt God said he's going to give us these gifts to be used for him. And when we open our hands, and the other picture is that with a closed hand, when you've got something so tight in your hand, it's very hard for God to give you more when your hand's closed. And the amazing thing about serving God is he'll be no man's debtor. You cannot out-give God. And we give one way, and he may not bless us the way we gave, but he blesses us in other ways. With the most biggest blessing, and the goal of our faith is not more stuff, Peter says, but the goal of our faith is the salvation of our soul. And he's given that that to us. So I'm just asking you, um, as we worship, if you feel led to do this, to open your hand. You know, it's not only bad thing, good things that we hold on to, but many of us are going through trials and tribulations. Many of us have loved ones that are not serving God that we pray for. Many of us are going through many issues. And in a sense, we're holding on to this thing. We don't even know we're doing to it doing it, but I felt God say, give it to him today. Put it on his lap. Now, I have this picture sometimes um, when I'm overwhelmed by either stuff that's happening in the church or in our life or whatever it is, that I can hold on to this and it consumes me. But I have this picture of writing a note to my father in heaven and putting it on his lap. And one of the other words for Jehovah Jireh, it can be translated like this, that when Abraham was um, going to sacrifice his son and his son, where's the offering? And Abraham said this, don't worry, son, God will provide. There's another translation that will say, God will see to it. And I feel God wants to do that today, to set us free, because it's in lifting our eyes and walking through these things that God is with us. He doesn't always promise to put the fires out. Isaiah 43 says that when you walk through the fires, you will not get burned, because I am with you. I'm with you in this, in this divine partnership. And I feel today God is just wanting to break things. He's struggling with stuff in your life, just as we worship for a little while. But another 20 minutes or so, just open your hand, open your heart, and allow God to begin that healing process. If you didn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these were unschooled, ordinary men that were captivated by the heart of Jesus. And you may want to captivate your heart today, and we'd love to pray with you if you'd like that. But others, if we in a sense, become like the older brother. And it happens to all of us. I feel God wants to recaptivate your heart because he never loved the older brother any less or any more than the younger son. And he never loved the younger son 
any less or any more than older brother. His love is constant. His love has never received, it never achieved. You cannot earn it. It's too priceless. It's received by opening our hands. Say, God, I need you to pour out your love upon me. It's through that that we begin to minister, first of all, the Holy Spirit to us and to others. So if we could stand for a while and worship. And if you'd like to pray once again, we've got prayer team here. It's always easier to come up and go to the sides where the music's a bit um, softer, but we'd love to pray for you.